to Dr. Frida in the morning. Hi, welcome to the Dr. Frida Show. Let's talk. We have Craig Gray with us. Welcome. Uh, looking forward to uh, speaking to you about all your insights and self-improvement. Uh, let's start with the Peace Walker program. What is that all about? Well, the Peace Walker program is a personal development program that uh, deals with how to become a better protector. So starting with um, how to navigate conflict inside of you and obviously conflict around you. So how to navigate um, kind of in four areas. One is the mindset. Second is your awareness. And then uh, your influence of how you influence situations and then action so what do you do all these things we could all use we go around trying to make a difference uh, without having the techniques and we need to have that kind of script in front of us uh, to do that uh, in a way that's going to be more profound so let's go through some of these uh, that you mentioned so let's go through what is the first one again uh, mindset Mindset. So what does that exactly mean, mindset? Well, that is a good question. A mindset, really, at least how I define it and how we teach it, is broken up into three areas. And the first area is your belief, right? Um, and we always start with the belief that life is precious, life is uh, universal value. And, and when it comes to conflict, we've got to be able to separate one's values as a human being from their behaviors and beliefs. So how do you, when it comes to conflict, how do you separate the ethic of being a protector and the ethic of that life is valuable from, you know, maybe you have to manage someone's behavior in the, in the moment. Uh, maybe you don't agree with what they believe in. So at the foundational element, you having the belief that life is a universal value and should be uh, treated with dignity and respect is the core focus of the entire approach of being a peace walker and being an ethical protector. Um, and then from that belief and that ethic, then basically it gets into, well, how, what is your identity? What is your identity as a, as a person? Now, obviously we have numerous identities, but there are some core identities and one is that of being a protector. And I'm sure you can imagine in your life, and you're a mother, so you know that uh, you'd probably do anything for your kids. You'd maybe put yourself at risk for to protect those children. Um, so this identity as being a protector, protecting oneself and other people, is huge. It's a it's a very core formulated identity that everyone has. We just have to make sure we're protecting the right stuff, right? Yeah. And then, sure. yeah. So once you dial in your identity, then your attitude in the moment. So what is your attitude in the moment? And, uh, and you could have a lot of attitudes. Could be bad, could be good. Well, basically, are you looking at um, conflict, in this case, as an opportunity? So can you be part of the solution rather than part of the problem when it comes to figuring out um, difficulties and so forth, whether they're internal or external? So those are the three elements that, that we start to kind of navigate and and pick apart for folks um, regarding this idea of mindset. It's so difficult to do. I know that uh, with my patients as well. 
uh, when they do have a mindset and they have values and they have conflict, well, how do they actually resolve the conflict without coming on negative or judgmental or somebody who has to have some kind of huge uh, disagreement? How do we do that in a way that's supportive while we're not agreeing? Is there some kind of technique that you have there? There are some things that we can do. Um, First and foremost is how do you seek to do the most amount of good and the least amount of harm to your abilities um, and for the situation? And that all points back once again to the idea of respecting the value of someone's life, even if you have to maybe, you know, if you're an employer, you might have to do disciplinary actions or maybe fire somebody. And if you're a teacher, you might have to discipline the child or or do something. Um, But how can you do the most amount of good and the least amount of harm in the circumstance to the best of your abilities while you're negotiating and navigating that uh, circumstance? And, you know, is it most good, least harm for everybody to the best of your ability? Which doesn't always mean most good, no harm. I mean, sometimes, especially when you're dealing with conflict, unfortunately, there are people who get, you know, their feelings hurt or sometimes even physically hurt if you're talking about, you know, as far as self-defense situation. But how do you have a force continuum that reflects the situation and the circumstance to the best of your abilities, which goes back into, you know, how do you ensure that you're safe? I'm sure with your clients and so forth, you know, they're feeling safe, not just physically, but they want to feel safe psychologically and emotionally. And that can be challenging. Well, feeling safe is feeling uh, no harm, no danger, uh, that you will come out uninjured, uh, all that. And you also deal with martial arts. So how does that play into what we're talking about uh, with walking away not harmed? I know there's techniques uh, and I know that it's also physical. When we're talking about psychological well-being and using certain types of strategies so you don't uh, have this combative uh, type of uh, response, that's very different when you're doing something physical and you do walk away uh, sometimes maybe in pain. Uh, how do you... Uh, Take away those bruises. What do you do that everyone is healed when you're finished with, let's say, martial arts? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, too, because the, the whole approach really began with my journey to martial arts when I was a kid. Um, and working with individuals as I got older, like now I work with a lot of police officers. Um, matter of fact, I work in your neck of the woods quite a bit. We, One of the... One of the organizations that I am a part of uh, called Resolution Group International. We retrained the Camden Police Department a few years ago. Oh. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of, that was an interesting interesting Mary, uh, We need ordeal. you badly. We need you very badly today because we need a lot of retraining. Uh, let me just pause for a moment and just ask you I mean we have commercials but they come in on their own. Uh, sure. I just wondered you know what you do uh, to retrain Uh, what's going on today in our society with all these killings. Is there a way that you can prevent it? And what are they doing wrong? Well, I mean, that's a complicated question and a complicated problem that we have. And it's not a single-fold question. And and I, unlike you, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And uh, 
there are a lot of tough human questions out there that we have to continually face as a as a society, I think. But all I can do is my part is trying to help people navigate this idea of aligning with this perspective of being a, a protector and align with this perspective that, that human life has value. And even when you're dealing with someone who may you may not like, you may not agree with, you may not even um, resonate with on any level, they may want to try to hurt you. You know, due to a conflict or due to you know relative values that aren't that aren't uh, connecting. But how do you, especially if you're in a position to where you're a position of authority, whether you're a police officer or a manager or a uh, teacher, you know, how do you try to minimize the amount of conflict that there is, and how do you try to minimize the amount of violence? Which brings us kind of, especially when you're dealing with police officers and so forth, where they potentially deal with violence all the time. Every call that they're on, there's potential for violence. So it's scary, you know. So the more confident that you are in your, believe it or not, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the more confident you are in your physical abilities to be able to protect yourself, you can more easily navigate that if it's done from the right ethic and the right training. Um, to diminish the amount of conflict that you run into. A lot of the problems that occur with um, excessive force cases and so forth, oftentimes, believe it or not, a lot of people don't realize, but the officers are doing this. And the officers often are very, you know, they have um, emotional responses to the threat of violence and so forth. Sometimes that, that turns into a power issue as well, but many times, especially with um, officers, it turns into a situation where they feel afraid. So what happens is they try to show that that kind of hard front of authority and things can escalate quickly on both ends. That's so interesting. So what you're saying is we need more self-defense mechanisms so we don't go ahead with the fear factor and be so offensive and we have to work on self-defense. Uh, a lot of this, uh, you're saying, is from coming from a weak spot. Uh, if you can protect yourself, you don't have to injure others. And that's something uh, that really needs to be changed. You know, what do you do to have not this fear factor, especially with these people we're talking about, police officers, they're professionals. Uh, they should be prepared. They shouldn't do something that's off guard. Uh, get take a taser instead of a gun, uh, which look differently and are different sides of the body. Why is that something that should be accepted if they're professional? Things do happen, but then again, if you have if you're prepared uh, to know that you could be strong and that you have techniques, a lot of this stuff won't occur. A lot of these things, these killings. Uh, won't be necessary. So with people like yourself training how to have these techniques, they need to be stronger. They need to revisit uh, what they've been trained, and we need to have a whole different set of rules today about knowing when to you know, put your knee on somebody's neck as we were watching uh, all this time, uh, and when to stop, and when you know that that person could be killed because of you to have that kind of impulse control is extremely important 
when you're working in certain fields uh, to be able to be prepared. It's like taking a test. You have to pass that test. Uh, people like you uh, need to be involved uh, in all aspects of these. Now, you're talking about managerial positions. We're talking about uh, police departments, uh, whatever that is. It's the outcome. How do you present it in a way where you're strong enough to take care of someone else? And so that balance, we don't have, we don't seem to have that balance. No, I agree, and uh, and it's an inter- it's a tough balance for people. Um, but obviously, if you're in a certain position, like a police officer or teacher, or um, in certain industries, I think there's a there's we have to have a greater amount of responsibility because there are, you know, there's a lot at stake, and um, this integration of the ethical approach of being a protector. And I'm not talking legal ethics. I'm talking the ethics, the human ethics of Again, that that value is, uh, of a person's life, um, separate from their behaviors and separate from their beliefs, and then integrated with that ethic of you know you have to be really good at verbal de-escalation too and verbal persuasion strategies, and then also know how that integrates in with your physical defensive tactics. Um, so those things have to be integrated, and oftentimes they're they're taught separately, um, and that is challenging because what happens in the real world is, you know, we're mind, body, spirit. You know, we, when we, inter- when we interact with individuals, it's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, compartmentalize this physical nature versus the verbal versus the ethical. I mean, they all, all these things come into play together. And, you know, when uh, kind of the rubber meets the road in a circumstance that may escalate quickly, those things integrate uh, very quickly. And uh, you've got to be prepared for it to not go into your kind of reptilian brain, so to speak, and do the fight, flight, or freeze uh, under stress. And that's very difficult, which is, then again, I, I'm not saying I know all what happened with the uh, officer who drew her taser versus her pistol. However, um, I guess there was, you know, she was under stress. She didn't maybe have the... Um, necessary amount of stress inoculation of training and um, I don't know if she had ever used her firearm um, believe it or not as an officer previous to that so so it'd be very easy under stress to do things that you wouldn't normally do if you weren't um, in that same circumstance well it's very sad because you know as a a civilian uh, pushing the panic button is different Uh, than someone who's paid to do this and that we know we can trust their behavior. So that's not happening. Uh, we're completely out of control uh, with the panic button here and how to go back and reassess and have this kind of structure. Uh, what to do? Shooting somebody in their back is not uh, a professional way of handling anything. Uh, so you have a multi-level of information for different people. You know, you were also a bodyguard, is that right? I was for many years. I still occasionally do some bodyguard work, but uh, my field work is in executive protection, yes. And uh, what was that like? Boring. Boring? <laughs> yeah. I think it would be interesting. I mean, did you have any interesting people that you <laughs> guarded or nobody or what? No, I did. I had some interesting people. And, and I'm just being facetious about boring. I mean, a lot of it is like any of those types of positions. You sit around a lot. I mean, in the many, many years that I've done it, I have a handful of interesting 
stories, but um, most of the time you're, you know, you're just, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is ensuring that the people are safe and the perimeter is safe and so forth. But there's a lot of hurry up and wait. And there's a lot of, um, you know, just, now I would say sitting around necessarily, but you're, you're on guard, you're, you know, so hopefully at the end of the day, hopefully your day was boring. I mean, that's the kind of the goal that you do your job so well that nothing does occur and that your services weren't needed to that capacity. And, uh, everyone can go home safe and, and you don't have to engage um, so what, on so anything. What kind of people, necessary. what kind of people, I'm just curious, needed a bodyguards? Uh, my clientele ranged from, Kind of mid-level politicians and their families and business people mainly. Um, business people had a lot more money than I did. So. What were they afraid but, of? What were they? What would? What were they trying? Well, to, some, yeah. Oh, there's some real threats with, um, let's say, business people being kidnapped for money. Not uncommon, uh, depending on where you're traveling as well. Um, politicians, same thing. Were, you know, I was involved in some upset uh riot not rioters at the time but they definitely were were picketers um and protesters to where the politicians and their families felt they needed to have some some security to keep them safe and that, that's still occurring today obviously in this past year especially you can see a lot of the the need for security and a lot of the folks it's not usually out in the public forefront so much, but, you know, a lot of these politicians and a lot of the people with money, if they're afraid of what's happening, they, they have security. Interesting. So how did you get started in this field as far as protecting, uh, being a speaker, uh, somebody who is an influencer for sure, uh, and also uh, who has techniques uh, that we could use uh in our lives, and not only as professionals, uh, what motivated you to go into this uh, business? This is an embarrassing story that I Good, that I'm I will, that I'll tell you. Folks. I like embarrassing <laughs> stuff, so I'm ready. See, I mean that being that you're you're a you're a, a counselor and therapist, this is good. So I can, yeah, I, I love can, like, it. Double dip on this. Good. For <laughs> sure. Know, I have to start with my brother when I was a kid, right? My my brother was. Um, he had some emotional problems. He had substance abuse problems when he was younger and anger issues. And he took a lot of that out on me when we were very young. And uh, my dad was a Marine. And my dad saw the struggle between us two. And my dad's solution, be it bad or good, in his, in his Marine-type way, was to teach me how to protect myself from my brother. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So give me some confidence and learn how to not get my rear end kicked, you know, on a daily basis yeah. by my brother. So, um, so that's exactly what I did. And I stood up to my brother one day when I was a young man, I got tired of the excessive bullying. When I say bullying, he's, he was a little bit of an overachiever to the point of hospitalizations and really? some not so good things. Um, then we were in family counseling, and he, he had issues. Uh, luckily, you know, he straightened out. He had, my mom and dad were, were uh, good folks, good parents, and no regrets on my childhood. But, you know, like any family, we had our bumps. But, uh, but anyway, so I learned, and I got a little bigger, and I learned to stand up to my brother. And he never touched me again. And as I got a little older, I continued in the martial arts, and I realized 
uh, had a calling of um, helping other people to feel empowered in this manner and to not be a victim. And if they were victimized, how not to take on this victim mentality. And um, I couldn't articulate it at that point in time because I was young. But, you know, I could, I loved my brother. And I saw him and I felt bad for him that he was often hurting inside and he would lash out. And, and again, I, you know, I can say this as a 50-year-old man, but, you know, as a 10, 12, 14-year-old kid, it didn't, I don't think it was that clear, but I could feel it. So, you know, how the whole approach, the Peace Walker approach came about was really from my brother of understanding that I loved him as a brother, but I didn't appreciate and didn't want to get hurt. He was physical um, with you? Oh, it was absolutely physical. With really? Me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, like I said, many hospital visits in my in my past from him and, uh, and social or uh, psychological issues that, you know, took two years to work out. So he needed, but, he's the one that needed the help, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's the <laughs> he one. Struggled with that. He's, yeah, he struggled with that for many years. Um, but, you know, after I stopped with up to him, he never touched me again. I started teaching other people of this mindset of being a protector. And I, you know, really delved into it for, with my own approach. And uh, a lot of it, for me anyways, came through the martial arts. And then I started teaching other people. Eventually I, you know, I, I obtained a black belt in, in a couple different styles and I started teaching. And now, and this is back in the, you know, early 80s. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, and then in the 90s, early 90s, around the Rodney King era, you know, I was teaching um, down at a local place around my neck of the woods, which is Grand Rapids, Michigan here. And I had a number of officers that were students. And they would come to me and they'd say, Craig, this is kind of what happened to me last night. You know, the guy was just resisting arrest. What would you do? And so I started kind of showing them what I would do. And before you know it, and this is back back in those days, really after the after the police academy, they didn't really have a structured approach of defensive tactics. Really? So basically they they'd pick, oh hey, if you were in martial arts, then you're our new DT guy, a defensive tactics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, so I had some students that were cops and I'd sort of teach them kinda what would might work and lo and behold, some of the stuff did. So I started getting reputation in that community, and then I started getting hired by police departments all over my area here in Michigan and then tri-state area and then nationally. Um, and I started doing ride-alongs, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, that's when I started transitioning into being a bodyguard, too. So got some training in that and then started doing that work. And although I'd never been a police officer and I'd never been in the military, but uh, I started getting hired by military and police because of my prowess, I think, as a martial artist, but then also my experience out in the field as an executive protection. And really, believe it or not, it was a lot because of my ethic. Because, I, like I said, at the beginning, I really couldn't articulate, well, how do I deal with a person? You know, in this case, in the first case was my brother. I love him. I don't want to hurt him, but I don't want to be hurt either. So mm-hmm. I could see his value as a human being. So in that moment, I had a choice. I had a choice of how I was going to see myself. Was I going to see myself as a as a victim? Was I going to see myself as a thug, you know, if I stood up to him? Or was I going to see myself as a protector? How can I protect everybody there? So I had one choice to make about myself, and I chose to be a protector, even though I couldn't articulate it at the time. 
And then I had another choice, too. The other choice was with my brother. Was I going to choose to see him as a human being beyond his aggression, beyond his shortcomings, beyond his beliefs, beyond his behavior? Could I still see him as a human being as my brother and love him for that? And I chose to love him. But I realized I had to be very skilled in order to stay in that spot of conflict and both love the person and deal with their behavior appropriately. So I didn't get hurt myself and that I could be in a position where I wow. wouldn't have to hurt the person um, or the least amount of, of um, physical uh, violence as necessary to deal with the situation. So you dealt with it mentally and physically? Both As time went on, yeah, I learned I learned how to do that, yeah. So going out and starting to do ride-alongs with police officers, and that what I realized was very quickly that um, some police officers dealt with conflict very well. And they could de-escalate and kind of, you know, they come in the room that is, had a lot of tension and, and something was getting ready to break out, and they would come in and things would just de-escalate. People would kind of take a, a breath like, wow, this guy's here. And they wouldn't have seen it necessarily, but they would think, well, this guy's here to protect me. This guy's here to protect me, kind of chill the situation out. And then the opposite also held true, we found, was, you know, I'd go on calls with guys who, you know, it was a mildly, kind of a mild circumstance, and, and this person would go in and things would ramp up. You know, it's like, wow, you're, you know, you're, you're not de-escalating the situation. You are escalating and um, over time, and being in different industries as well, you know, I, as I got more clients and worked with more people, I started doing um, shadowing like teachers in, in, in schools and shadowing uh, medical professionals in like the ER rooms and going on calls with uh, ambulance drivers and, and this type of thing and seeing all of these people, how they dealt with conflict. And uh, in, in the, not from a clinical way, but in a really boots on the ground, in your face kind of way. So over the years, I developed a system and approach to help teach that, to break it down and help to teach that that uh, way that these people were dealing with conflict on the ground and keeping people safe and keeping themselves safe. So that along with my, my, my own experiences as in security and executive protection and with my brother and my martial arts experience, I knew most people wouldn't want to be martial artists. They, uh, you know, most people don't want to take the time because it's a passion of some people, but definitely not a passion of all people. So what do you do with those people? You know, you can't, okay, go learn martial arts for 20 years and hopefully it works out for you. Not to, not to say that that's the answer either, but, um, you know, just helping people through these four elements, their mindset, their awareness of themselves, their awareness of their surroundings, their awareness of individuals, their ability to influence and their ability to act, um, are just developed a, a program and a system at first it was called the psychology of self-defense back in the early 90s and then it's kind of evolved from that to the peace walker project this should be mandatory in schools absolutely uh for people who go into all kinds of professions uh, do you think that uh, police officers should take uh, psychological testing before they are even qualified uh, to have this kind of position maybe teachers I also would... i don't know no, I think that would be, and, and many, to my knowledge, and I'm not, I, I'm not the utmost authority on you know, procedures of hiring police officers and firing police officers and so forth, but um, to my knowledge, they typically do have to go through um, 
psychological profiling to varying levels, depending on the municipality and so forth. But um, they typically don't just let people in. And I think, you know, on the other end, we also have to understand that on any given day, I mean, there are literally millions of interactions with police officers and citizens. Um, I think in 2019, there's something like over 10 million arrests. And if you think of the, let's say, unarmed fatalities of civilians who were unarmed and they got, uh, they were killed at the hands of a police officer when they were unarmed, when the citizen was unarmed, um, you know, that makes up of one, less than one tenth of one percent of the arrests. So, um, you know, it's not a normal, it's not something that occurs a lot. I think we want to do what we can to continue to get the officers the training they need and the ethical approach that they need and the verbal de-escalation that they need and the physical training that they need um, to do their jobs in a way that can either reduce those numbers. But um, I think with our social media the way it is and people's perception of just seeing, I call it the toothache theory. You know, we have 32 teeth in our head, but we only see and feel the one that hurts. So I think it's easy to get um, sometimes a maybe not a, a wholehearted um, view on what's happening by only watching the media. That's true. That's really true. You're right. What about bullying? What would you recommend? It goes on. It's so rampant in schools uh, or even adults bullying. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 incredible. Uh, when we go, we talk about uh, the kids in school, and then they go to the counselors for help. Uh, they say, "Don't do anything." You know, speak to authority. But the authorities don't help them either. So, what would you recommend kids do uh, when they're bullied in school? Well, I've got a great story for you. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Oh, good. No, but, we, have, uh... we have 20 minutes, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I don't have any children, but my significant other, she has four girls. And we've been together for, for a, a bit of time. And um, her youngest, her name's Leah. She's, uh, at the time, she was 11 years old. She just turned 12 recently. But she came into the house, and um, my significant other, Jen, she tells me, oh, she was being bullied at school by one of the bigger kid uh, in her grade or grade above uh, gal. And... Uh, and Leah was a, is a really upbeat, upbeat young lady, very, very sweet. She's a people pleaser. Um, so she didn't know what to do with this bullying, right? And the girl kind of pushed around. She hurt her a little bit. Not bad, but she kind of shoved her on the ground and called her some nasty names. So um, I talked to her, and I asked her what, uh, what had happened. And I, uh, I'll tell you hearing the story of this of Leah tell tell me and trying to hold back the tears because I think she didn't want to show that she was weak you know in front of me and she's telling me oh I, I should have done this or I should have done that it was breaking my heart you know and especially thinking oh I can I can maybe help in in more ways than just consoling her you know and uh, so I let her talk and and gave her a hug, and then uh, I asked her, I said, you know, do you want me to maybe give you some suggestions on how maybe we can handle it in the future? And she said, yeah. So I gave her a very quick lesson, literally about 10, 15 minutes, of drawing boundaries and telling her it was okay to draw boundaries 
that it was okay to stand up for herself. And sometimes, yeah, absolutely go to your teacher if you can. You know, come to me or mom and let us know. Well, we've got your back. I said, but you also, you know, let's, let's learn how to stand up for yourself too, you know, in the moment. So I taught her some really quick, call it fence position, interview stance and movement, where how to kind of build a physical barrier between you and the other person and how to use your voice, how to draw clear boundaries. Uh, very simple, but just... So what do you do uh, with your so voice? She, I'm just curious. So so let's walk through this a little bit. So if sure. somebody is bullying you, and my experience has been the authorities do not help, uh, and kids are fearful that if they speak up, uh, they're going to be injured in some way or bullied more. Sure. So they they feel that they should be positive and they should be nice. They shouldn't go down on the level of the bullies. And then they get bullied more, of course. So let's hear, uh, what did you tell her that she should say and do? First off is just draw, try to separate separate yourself from the situation. Um, Get into, when I say defensive position, I don't mean like a, it doesn't look like a sport martial arts stance or anything like that. But you're standing assertively. Um, Your hands are in a non-assertive posture. But you're physically distanced from from the individual. And you use your voice to draw boundaries. You very directly tell them to stop. Right? And a lot of times, the bullies, they're looking for easy targets. And you have to teach, especially when it's individuals that you're around on a continual basis. Like, for instance, this is a, a co-student of hers, you know, a, a, for a, a student that she goes to school with all the time. So she has to teach her that she's not going to put up with the behavior. And a lot of times, and and in Leah's case, you know, she really was kind of meek about drawing those clear boundaries. So simply, I mean, if if there's one thing that that an individual could do, obviously it's around a podcast and we only have like two minutes together, but is to assert yourself, use your voice, tell them no, tell them stop under no uncertain circumstances. That is huge. Because a lot of times, you're right, uh, Frida, people are afraid. They're afraid to put down that line of like, well, what what if? And then they start getting into the what if mindset. Um, These bullies will pick on people and they like to do it in isolation, whether it's emotionally isolated or physically isolated, right? If I can isolate you emotionally, meaning that you're not going to say anything to me and you're not going to say anything to anybody else, I can more easily do my dastardly deeds, so to speak. I want easy targets. I don't want somebody who's going to stand up to me. I don't want to fight. I want to win, right? I want to exert my emotional... So you just say, don't talk to me this way? Absolutely. Draw your boundaries of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. It's a very good first start. Do you tell them you're going to go to authority or you don't bother? You just say, uh, you are uh, inappropriate and do not speak to me this way. Is that what you do? That's a good curious. first start. Okay. Good. No, that's a good. That's a good first start. It's like first mm-hmm. ask them to stop. Say, do not talk to me this way. If that doesn't work, you could give them a reason. If that reason doesn't work, you can give them some options. Okay, listen. If you keep talking to me like that, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go talk to the teacher. I don't really want to do that. So why don't you just keep comments to yourself? What about saying I'm going to get some whoever that is who's bigger than him or her, uh, 
you know, not to get them, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I would like to have them say that. But, uh, you know, I'm going to get uh, Joe whatever to come over here and see if you like it. Does that sound okay, well, but not? Uh, I would love to do that. That sometimes backfires, and uh, and I'm, I'm a little old school sometimes. But a lot of times it, it doesn't get to the point of of the physical violence even. Mm-hmm. And if it does, obviously, you know, you can train yourself more. But um, to get some physical training, and the more, and it's amazing on with that back to the kind of the physical thing that we're talking about earlier with the physical confidence of hey, I may not be able to win, but I can throw it down, and I am fully willing to do that to protect myself from you if necessary. It's amazing on what how that changes the dynamics, both inside of the person as well as with the interaction. So like I said, the bullies, typically they don't want a fight. They want to take advantage of people. They want to bully people. So lay down your boundary. Give them some choices. And then you can also kind of throw down that, uh, that hard boundary of basically here's the deal. If you keep doing this, I'm going to have to go you know, to get a teacher or something. And if you don't stop, that's what's going to happen. Well, teachers, I hate to say this, you know, first of all, we don't have teachers everywhere where we go, uh, especially True. as adults, but, uh, you know, they don't often come through either. And sometimes, that's yeah, that's the problem. Uh, and sometimes you just have to get a bigger kid or somebody who's going to intimidate them in some way. You know, I'll share a quick story that happened to me. I was, uh, it was, I guess, my kid's birthday. And so uh, I went and I bought some donuts. You know, these whatever horrible donuts they have, Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> whatever. The kids like it. I thought they'd be happy. And so I brought some boxes in. And the principal is sitting at the desk in the place of the secretary uh, when I went to pick them up or something. And she started yelling at me. Uh, and how dare you? And she was turning purple. And I don't know, she was so overreacting to the fact that I brought donuts. And didn't I see the list of things you have to bring in for the school? Um, so you know what happened? I got her fired. I, you know, She wanted to record everything I said. And I wa- mm. walked into her office with her secretary who was writing everything down. Don't ask me why over some stupid donuts. But then I did say, she says, well, do you have anything to say? I said, yes. No one wants to talk to you. Everybody feels uncomfortable with you. You go around threatening people, and the school has been changed because of you, and you're a bully, and you threatened me. Well, when they read this, they heard this, it uh, went all against her. Uh, She was fired. So as adults, you do have to speak up, and you're right. It's extremely effective. I didn't know that I would make that difference. Uh, people, oh, yeah, people get away with stuff as children, and if they're not stopped, it escalates. Then it gets worse. Then they become criminals, and they feel they can get away with more and more. So uh, people have to know that when you have this need to bully, it's because you don't feel good about yourself. And when you feel someone feels worse about themselves. It's really someone who feels better about themselves in the, the aftermath of everything. And it's very sad because school, especially, 
it's a time developmentally you're changing all the time and you're getting used to yourself your brain is changing uh, and then these people come and they threaten you and we should definitely have that mandatory in school too courses on how to react I would agree. to bullying what to do I know that when I went to school that really wasn't a big deal for some reason uh, now uh, the, it's really gotten around that this is a an uncomfortable situation uh, and so just talking about it makes me uncomfortable because these kids who are innocent and are not prepared you go to school and that's a place of safety that's a place where you'll be taken care of and to go further than that it's the bullying and then killing of uh, these kids are coming in who feel that they were bullied and by the way the ones that uh, go back in and are the shooters are the ones that have been bullied the most I didn't know how to take care the of themselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. And same thing with, with often with adults as well. A lot of the, the adults feel as if they were bullied by whether it's society or specific individuals. They feel undermined. They feel as if they are disempowered and they want to, you know, we implode or explode. And unfortunately, those folks explode. And un, unfortunately, there's tragedies that, that uh, ensue from there with the loss of life of sometimes many people. And uh, I agree. It's the that's the again goes back to our former conversation of learning how to physically protect yourself is I feel very important for individuals um, even if you never have to use it but this idea that you're willing and your life you are valuable enough to stand up for yourself and that people don't have the right to treat you poorly in that in that manner. Do you think and, adults? Uh, do you think adults should take a karate and martial arts and all that stuff? I know kids do. And then if you're older and you go back to have this type of training, they say they usually start with younger kids, younger people. What do you advise? Do you feel that this is important uh, as an adult as well? Absolutely. Um, matter of fact, I mean, cause I've got a multi kind of fat. My, my organization is multifaceted. One of the things that I do is um, – I have a, a local uh, Krav Maga Academy. Um, as you know, I, uh, Krav Maga, or you may not know, but Krav Maga is a hand-to-hand combative system for the Israeli Defense Force. And uh, so we have an academy that teaches the physical skills. And then most of my daytime hours are, are, are dealing with um, teaching you know, police departments and hospitals and schools and security teams. Um, but uh, my Krav Maga organization, my Krav Maga Academy, is, is made up primarily of adults. And, yeah, absolutely, if you're out there and you can find a place that um, resonates with you as far as training and it's good instruction and, and comes from the right ethic, that physical training, not only get a good workout in and maybe, you know, lose some, some of that COVID weight, <laughs> yes, you can also... <laughs> right? Sure. Me too. I know it's been kind of a crazy year, but... Um, but the, the transformation that I've seen people um, go through is amazing, just astounding if people stick with it. But I will have to, this caveat, and you'll have appreciation for this, Dr. Frieda, I'm sure, is I always say, Krav Maga is therapeutic. It is not therapy. So I've, I've, uh, I've had to, to refer some folks over the years to professionals such as yourself to you know, get deeper treatment if they're trying to replace that with just just class. But you know, you're a prime example. You're a prime example of someone who did it on your own. I mean, you could have gone around being victimized 
the rest of your life, and you fought it. And now you're teaching other people uh, to also to how to fight it and what they need to do. So it doesn't necessarily mean if you were brought up a certain way, uh, unless you get help, uh, you'll be stuck. If you have that kind of power over yourself, uh, that's stronger than the fear itself. If you can do that and you can keep retraining yourself. So when you say mindset, and when I asked you what that meant in the beginning of this interview, now I understand what, what you really mean. This mindset with you was your mental martial arts that you performed on yourself of how to fight back and what you needed to do. Yes, yes very much so. And I, and I have to, I'd love to take all the credit, but um, I've had some wonderful mentors in my life, um, beginning with my parents. My father and my mother were great uh, were great mentors, and I've had many instructors over the years who really mentored me as well. So I'd love to say it, for, you know, just came from inside of me, but uh, I had a lot of help too. And uh, and I think some people need some of that clarity to help them through, even even though you know it's their choice. At the end of the day, it's your choice. Even with therapy, right? It's your choice if you want to make if you want to make those changes in your life and develop those habits in your life that are going to be more beneficial to you. And uh, I don't know about you, but I can I can guess that who wants to live a life of a victim? I mean, that's okay. a it's a crappy life, and B there's so much beauty that life has both to give us and what we have to give others around us, and we can only do that if we try to self-actualize. And living in fear, I mean, fear is there for a reason. It's there to protect you, but don't let it control you. And don't let it overwhelm you to do um, negative things, destroy your own life, or in some cases, destroy other people's lives. So, um, no, living in fear is not the way to go. So it goes back to that idea of mindset and identity and belief. You know, we were put on this earth for some reason. I think it's for good reasons. And uh, once you figure out what that is, you know, your ability to do it from a from a place of cur- of courage not fearless necessarily because there's always going to be fear, but courage, courageousness and, you know, continually trying to find and navigate that. And that's what we try to inspire in that identity of being a protector, that uh, attitude in the moment of, well, so I ended up in a situation, but I can't necessarily always control the circumstance I'm in, but I can control as Dr. Victor Frankel said, you know, you, you, you can only sometimes control how you respond to it. So um, that is huge with, with the mindset. And you can really um, kind of dive into that with martial arts if you so choose. But uh, And even if you don't, it's at the core of all the courses that I teach, even if it's a, just a weekend course, because uh, that's important. What are your future goals? You know, first of all, we need more people like you. Uh, we don't have enough of this. We don't have enough. Uh, when we're talking about victimization, of course, you're treated like a victim if you want to be a victim, and no one can help you except yourself. Uh, but somebody like you who protects and who uh, usually uh, can not only save you emotionally but physically can, can protect you from uh, being killed out there as well. Let's, let's go to that extreme. Uh, what do you see? Because if we're talking about giving classes, um, having this um, mandatory in programs, 
how would you like this to your future uh, with your career and your future goals, even more important, to evolve? Well, it's, I'm glad that you asked me that. My future goals, um, for instance, I, I developed a, a whole online learning center for folks that really has boomed over COVID here um, because a lot of people are cooped up in their houses and so forth, but to develop a network of like-minded people who want to learn this simple method, methodology, the profound methodology, so we can make more what I call peace walkers, so we can make more peace walkers out there from every profession, obviously, especially our law enforcement personnel and our, our military personnel, but not just them, everybody, because everybody's a protector. You know, the teachers out there, heck, the garbage man out there, they're soccer moms and IT professionals. Um, how can we make everyone not just live safer lives, but be more clear on their ethics, be more clear on how to navigate conflict? So let's face it, with human beings comes conflict. And conflicts aren't all bad, but we have to make sure that we view them in the right way and make that conflict an opportunity, not just grow as an individual, but in the moment, if you're not part of the problem, that conflict will tell you exactly how it needs to be navigated, whether it's just walking away or if you have to verbally communicate or possibly even if you have to physically engage. But um, but you can't be part of the problem, meaning that you've got to be able to have some sense of control over yourself, and that all begins with that mindset and that belief. I like Without that. I like that, what you said. Uh, you don't have to be, just because there's conflict doesn't mean you have to be part of the problem. You can walk away. Uh, you can find a solution. You can be supportive. You can have a voice. Uh, but it doesn't have to be combative. Uh, sometimes having conflict is good because you hear other people's ideas and feelings. Uh, so conflict has many different meanings. Uh, it can be something that's threatening, or it could be something that's uh, growing and something that's positive and uh, moving you in a certain direction. So all these words, you know, victimization, that sounds negative, uh, that people will treat you like a victim, you won't get help. Uh, if you have conflict, uh, you won't get help. All this, unless you present yourself in a way to show that you're going to make a difference, that you're there for healing experience, uh, that you're there, that you're both on the same page. When people feel threatened, uh, they create all this chaos unnecessarily. Right. And when they feel you're on, your, you're on their side, even if you don't agree with them, uh, that's a skill that most of us don't have. We, we become very defensive uh, when it comes to having different opinions, different ideas, and we have to be stronger. So martial arts physically makes you stronger, uh, and also this mindset that you're talking See, I keep using that word because it's a great word uh, that you keep <laughs> talking about because that makes you stronger as well. Is there anything you'd like to add before we close this wonderful interview? Well, Thank you very much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, Doctor. And uh, I will leave you with this. It's called the Protector's Creed or the Warrior's Creed. And this comes from I have a, one of my mentors and friends. His name is Jack Holden. 
And uh, Jack was a captain in the Marine Corps, and he's one of the guys who was responsible for creating the um, hand-to-hand combative system for the Marine Corps. He still works with the Marines. And he had a mentor, and his name was Dr. Robert Humphrey. And uh, Humphrey's no longer with us anymore, but he was a Marine at Iwo Jima in in World War II there. And after he uh, survived that ordeal, he got a Harvard Law degree, and then he went to the Fletcher School of Diplomacy and got his JD in cross-cultural conflict management. And he ended up working for the State Department for 30-some-odd years in, believe it or not, conflict management. And he was kind of behind a lot of a lot of the Cold War campaigns, but he had what he called the Warrior's Creed, and I wanted to end it with this because it was um, Jack taught it to me, and I wanted to share it with you folks. Thank you. Wherever you go, wherever you go, everyone's a little bit safer because you're there. Wherever you are, anyone in need has a friend. Whenever you go back home, people are glad you're there. Dr. Humphrey thought it was a better life of being a protector, and that's what I found too, and I wish that for all of us. Wow, I just felt the chills because what a great thing that is to do, to leave wonderful feelings and experiences behind and in front of you everywhere you go. This is shedding light and happiness around you and goodwill. We need a lot of that. Thank you so much for being on our show. It was a real pleasure. And where can people get uh, reach you if they want to? Go to peacewalker.net, and you can reach me on that website. Perfect. Looking forward to it, and thank you so much. It was an inspirational experience. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Be Frieda. Well. I really appreciate being Take on the care. Show. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So just to let you know that after every show, you can send in questions to Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, Frida, F-R-I-E-D-A, at gmail.com. Thank you. I hope to hear from you.